<laughs> All right, we're going to look at, you know, we've done, uh, Terry did Genesis and Exodus a week each. We're going to skip Leviticus, although we're going to hit it just briefly. Then we'll talk about Numbers and Deuteronomy. This is where everybody gets stuck when they're reading through the Bible. This is one of the, again, we're doing this with material from the Bible Project. This is, we're not going to watch the video on Leviticus, but I want, to, I want you to just look at this slide a minute. It really shows, I think, one of the nice things about Leviticus when we're talking about one specific thing. The book flows here, chapters 1, 7, 8, 10, and it comes around here. But the way this is arranged to show that the, the writers put symmetry in this book. We start off talking about ritual sacrifices, and at the end we talk about ritual feasts. Then we talk about the ordination of priests. On this side we have the qualifications for the priest. Then we talk about ritual purity and moral purity, and right in between those two purity sections we have the discussion of the Day of Atonement. So there's a, a really nice symmetry to this book that sometimes when we're getting through reading verse by verse, we miss. But I want to talk about two pieces. I want to talk about the idea of purity because this really struck me when I, when I listened to this a couple of times this week. And first, or the second thing they talk about is moral purity, which is something we're all very aware of. You know, that God calls us to be different from the people around us. And in Leviticus, there are really kind of three different emphases, care for the poor, sexual integrity, and social justice. It makes us different from those around us. That's important. But then he talks about ritual purity. And I hadn't thought a lot about ritual purity. You know, there are ways you could be impure that prevented you from participating in the acts of worship. Priests, for instance... If you contacted reproductive fluids or, or had a skin disease, you touched mold or touched a dead body, you were impure. Now, are any of those things sinful? Somebody, somebody's got to get that body and take care of it. It's not sinful. But these are things, uh, as he puts down here, they're associated with mortality and the loss of life. And the Jew, God set it up for the Jews so that when you come into the presence of God, when the priest went in to make those sacrifices in the tabernacle or in, later on in the temple, they had to be pure because God is holy. God is pure. And they, he didn't want them to be tainted with any of these things that remind us of death and mortality. They want the people to be as perfect as they could be. So, again, it's not that it's... it's Wrong, but it just re- it would render the person impure, or so they they didn't need to come to the presence of God. And, and again, there are rituals for for getting rid of this. Sometimes you just had to wait so many days. You might have to have a ceremonial bath. But does this concept have any meaning for us today? That's what I was. Do we? Are there ways in which we, even though we haven't sinned, are there things we can do? Are, are situations we can come into which somehow render us unable to make that contact with God in the intimate way we need to. You know, I said, well, maybe not, you know, and because it, if, if we're too worried about this, it can drive us into isolation. You know, the, the monks, uh, in, order, in order to keep themselves, as, as James would say, unspotted from the world, Went into isolation. They lived in, in a community, monks and nuns, where they weren't tempted by the world. But are we called to be isolated or engaged? Yeah. John? I think that probably the Beatitudes gives a 
guidelines mm -hmm. of ways to approach that issue of, of yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think there are some things we can do that that sort of, you know, there are activities we can engage in that maybe in themselves aren't sinful, but they take our focus away from God. That, that kind of sometimes get in the way. And I thought, well, well, I can get off in this because these are primarily for the priests. But who are the priests today? We're all priests, and you know, just like they offered sacrifices. The worship we offer from Romans 12, 1, we're all familiar with this passage, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So just like they offered animal sacrifices, we offer ourselves and our lives as a living sacrifice, and that is our worship. So just like those priests, we need to make sure we're pure. And I think what I come, come back to is, so you go, moral purity, we need to make sure we're morally pure and we, we avoid those things that can get between us and God. This may be stretching the idea of ritual purity too much. Any thoughts on this? The idea of Hebrews 9, what that Jesus in the role of ultimate high, high priest. priest. And once and for all, through his blood, mm -hmm. he went into the most holy place for us. Right. You know, you think about all those things that make somebody impure, go through ordinary life, it's difficult sometimes not to find yourself in a situation. Yeah. But we have that, we have yeah. that perfect high priest that yeah. solves it for us. Right. So that we can continue to offer our sacrifices day by day. But yeah, that's kind of what the, the highlight from Leviticus I wanted to talk about. So if we're good with that, let's go ahead and we're going to see this video on numbers, right? Let's see if this works. Terry had less. We don't like complainers unless it's me doing the complaining. That's different. Think about how spoiled we are and how much we dislike inconvenience. Yeah. And you know, this was the whole travel from the wilderness was horrible. I mean, it's yeah. awful. It's a camping trip. For me, that's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I, yeah. I get it. Yeah. You've got, you got about an estimate of two million people. Yeah. So you've got all the, just the hygiene, the, the, all the, oh, yeah. you got to dig latrine, you got trash removal, all the things that come with that many people. Yeah. So it's not an easy thing. There's yeah. And, 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 you no know, and Egypt at the time was probably the prime civilization of the world, and, and it wasn't like modern-day first world today, but in terms of the ancient world, they were, they were in a pretty nice setup. You know, they, had, they were slaves, they had to work, and unlike the video last week showed they didn't build the pyramids, <laughs> the timing is not right, they were already built. But uh, anyway, they, they had jobs to do, but they didn't have to worry about what they were going to eat every day or where they were going to sleep. They, uh, you know, had, had, had fairly decent lives. And here they are in the wilderness. They don't know where they're going. Yeah.
I think they lost something in the story. Okay. That they wanted to leave. Yeah. Nobody made them leave. They were eager. Yeah. Um, yes. On that note, there's a Sarah Grimm song called Painting Pictures of Egypt. And I think that's what they're doing here. Is they're, they're painting a picture of Egypt that was happier than the actual Egypt. Yeah. Right? They're out in the wilderness and, they're, and it's hard, yes, but they, they, they're imagining that it used to be a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The reason I can relate to this so well is because the hardest place to be is right where you are. <laughs> and I think we all experience that. Yeah. And, and not just our everyday life, but our big picture life. Yeah, and, and they had probably painted a picture of where they were going that maybe was just as unrealistic as the nostalgic picture they had looking back. And, but the important point I think that this made here is God sticks with it. He gives them what they want, but he, he doesn't turn his back on them. He lets them make their decisions just like he lets us make decisions. And, uh, One of the things in Numbers that sort of obscure, but, oh, it's not obscure, but we don't focus on it. In our tradition, we focus on age of accountability. Yeah. Well, here it's age 20 and above. Okay. People under 20 were not condemned to death in the wilderness, but they got there. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, so the, that would, that seemed to be the dividing point for who, who who's going to die before we get to the promised land and who's going to make it to the promised land. It's 20. Good point. Anyway, it, it, it's, a, it's a big picture, you know, uh, and again, the, the summary of here, kind of God brings his judgment, but he also shows his mercy. Never did these, you know, he did completely turn his back on his people, but when they turned their back on him, he let that happen. Anything else we need to mention we've forgotten? Yes? A lot of weird stuff in the Old Testament. Absolutely. A lot of weird, if you didn't hear, a lot of weird stuff in the Old Testament. Yeah, and, and, and next week, we're going to talk about that a little bit more starting off, about how we look at history. Even today, how do we look at history? How do we understand history? How do we understand historic people? And I think uh, I have some personal thoughts about it. You get to listen to those, whether you want to or not. <laughs> but I think, I think we, we, need to, we need to kind of step back and look at how we assess historic figures and, and the history itself. So, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm always puzzled at this idea that God doesn't turn his back on his people. Yeah. You, you go back to Sinai, God said, Moses, get out of the way, I'm going to kill every one of them. Yeah. And Moses says, wait a minute, don't forget your promise. And God says, yeah. I'll do it through you rather than the way I had it planned. But he planned yeah. to kill every single one of them. Yeah. Except Moses talked him out yeah. of it. So yeah. there's a God that goes, I've had enough. Yeah. Also. Yeah. And and I think the other thing if we had time to be interesting to talk about is the the task of leadership and how Moses had, has to handle that. And the harshness of his judgment. Yeah. One yeah. Although although this brought out one point that I had not thought about. You know, I always thought brought up he hit the rock. 
But this brought out the fact that Moses took the credit himself rather than giving God the credit for bringing that water. That, that it wasn't just it wasn't that he hit instead of talked. Yeah. If you want to be an then take your family on a trip to California. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. But thirty years later, you ask your children, and they all remember with fondness all the time. <laughs> okay. All right. We're gonna move on to Deuteronomy, and uh, oops, yeah. I think I can stop it. Okay. Because I didn't realize Moses stood up for the people twice because he did yeah. Mount Sinai and then he did here right. to, so God wouldn't wipe them out. Yeah. It's almost like God lost his temper. But then it feels, I feel like when Moses lost his temper with the yep. people and he made a mistake, it just does seem awfully, he, he stood by so faithfully yeah. so long. It just seems so severe. He's I, a I, complex character. You know, it, you see him, him lose his temper but then if you, you know, it's it's kind of, kind of like it's. It, I can get mad at somebody because I know it doesn't have any consequence. But when God says He's going to do something, well, I better step in here. I don't know. That's yeah. It just I know it's hard to explain. Yeah. You know the Old Testament is full of and I'm I'm afraid that we are so comfortable in our lives that we as Christians are going to have to answer and if we too much liberalism is going out, and, huh. and we're letting you know ancient foreign religions come in here and, and just turn down our Christianity because we, they have issues with uh, under God and uh, playing the religions, yeah. and in God we trust. And I'm afraid that we need to really stand up for what's yeah. going yeah. on. Yeah, 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 and and you know the. The, 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 our role with other religions, with government, is always a complex issue. You know, there are a lot of Christians who object to saying the Pledge of Allegiance because they say, my allegiance is to God. I'm not going to pledge allegiance to a flag. My allegiance is to God. So there, you know, there are all these issues that come into play. But, you know, we're talking about here, Israel is, and we're going to talk about, next week we're going to talk Joshua and Judges. And we're really going to talk about people in a foreign land, trying to keep their integrity, their religious integrity, when they're surrounded by non-believers. Now, I stopped it. Can I start it? For the Exodus, why are you with that? Find out. But for now, that. Okay. So, same question. Is there anything that struck you after hearing this video about Deuteronomy that had not jumped out at you before? Might not be. Yes? Well, reading the laws is one thing. When you start reading the laws in a modern sense, yeah. kind of fog over. Yeah. Matter of fact, if, if you've heard Josh's sermon this morning already, Josh talked about this. He said, you know, when we read Daniel, when we read all these Old Testament scriptures, and we try to say, 
Well, that doesn't make sense to me that God would do that way. We need to go be, think about it and go back and try to put ourselves in that civilization, in that violent world of the Old Testament, and, and, and try to understand it that way. I don't know if we really can, but we need to, we need to try to. It's, and it helps us understand, and again, we'll talk more about that next week. So, you know, the other thing, I guess, that struck me is sometimes, uh, you know, I think about, you know, seeing Jesus foretold more in the prophets. But even, you know, it kind of struck me, just reminded me of both this and the numbers, that, that there's a lot of stuff in, in, these, in these narrative books of the Old Testament that point to God's eventual redemption of Israel. And, and you know, we, you know, that something's going to change our hearts. You know, for years, you know, I studied that scripture in Hebrews where it says the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. And I thought, well, God couldn't forgive sin in the Old Testament. Well, if you read the Old Testament, he says he did. But I think what's changed is it wasn't that God couldn't, t- couldn't forgive sins, but he couldn't stop us from being sinners, from going back to worshiping idols, from doing all this stuff. And finally, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, I think we now are empowered to resist temptation more than those people were. Uh, the power of Satan has been limited. You know, it talks in the Gospels, Jesus says, how are you going to uh, rob the strong man's uh, larder or whatever unless you go in and tie him up? And so there's something that happened to the devil in the incarnation. And then the, so this gets back to what Rodney said. You know, we need to, to try to read these laws with our Old Testament glasses on. I know it's hard, but that's what we're called to do. And I, I'm going to, again, I should have probably done this this week, but next week we're going to talk about that a little more and how we, how we read old things. Uh, the Shema is kind of the, really a centerpiece for, for Jews. Anybody know what this is? It's little object's about that long. It's a mezuzah. It's got holes this end and this end. And you put, uh, an observant Jew will put a little scroll in there with the Shema written on it in Hebrew. And there's the Shema. And they were told, tell their children, write them on your doorpost to your house and on your gates. So a lot of times if you go to visit a Jewish friend, you might notice a little mezuzah on the, on the doorway, on the lintel or whatever that's called beside the door. Is that a lintel? Anyway, recite them, put them on your doorposts. This is really a lot of the core of the Old Testament, what they're also supposed to do. Bind them on your forehead and on your hand. And again, my good friend Arnie, who grew up a Jew in Brooklyn, wore these, this kind of stuff when he was a young man, he said. Had the phylacteries on his head and the, oh, the telephone on, the, on his arms where you had scripture written in those boxes. So very, very usually Hasidic, very observant Jews may do this still today. So that's how vital the Shema is. It's, and where else do we see the Shema? Outside the Old Testament. Is Jesus ever talk about the Shema? What's the, what's the occasion in Mark? What, what somebody comes to Jesus, what are they asking? Yeah, and what, what's, what should I do? What's the most important teaching? And Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You should be the Lord, Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and your strength. 
Where does he get this with all your mind? Did Jesus not know, know Torah? That's not in the Old Testament. Also, he quoted from a bad translation. If you look at the Septuagint, the Septuagint takes the phrase with all your heart and makes it all your mind. So that was the Greek version of the Old Testament that a lot used. So what Jesus did was he combined a traditional reading with your heart and added, I think added the Septuagint reading that they were familiar with where it says all your mind. So he kind of combines the bad translation in the original Hebrew and comes up with a, a, a composite Shema. So anyway, so he makes that change. But again, you see why this teaching is so core to the Old Testament and to us. The Lord, your God, there's one is one. We love him with our minds, with our hearts, our souls, and our minds, and all our strength. God is the, was the focus then and the focus now. And again, if, if Israel had learned this, they might not have had all the problems they did. One simple statement sums up so much. I think uh, we need to keep this. And I actually know Christian friends sometimes who have little mezuzahs in their house to remind them. Do you have one? All right, Randall. Good deal. Okay. That's all I had for this week. Next week, Nancy Posey. We, we've been talking about the scripture, been kind of summarizing these books, but one of the other things the Bible Project does, and incidentally, all these videos are free downloads, and, and the posters are free downloads. I encourage you to look them on your own. But the other thing they have a lot on is how to study the Bible. You know, uh, when you read different types of literature, you read them different ways. I love to read mysteries. Hilton and I, we, we swapped ideas for good mysteries to read. He just started me on a good one. But I don't read those mysteries the same way I read a, a letter from a friend. And I don't expect them to be the same. And, and when, I read, when, I, when I read something, it starts off with the phrase, once upon a time, what do I know? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting, when I read those four words, once upon a time, four words, I pretty much know I'm going to be reading a fairy tale. And there are type, different types of literature in the Bible. And, there, and we need to understand how to read them. Because, again, I don't, when I hear the words roses are red, violets are blue, my tendency is to say, well, really, violets are kind of purple, you know. But that's, that's the wrong way to read a poem. <laughs> That's right. Nancy, nothing rhymes with purple. So you got to go with blue. So Nancy's going to start us in and, and help us to understand how we look at these different genres of literature. Unless you're Roger Miller and he said circle or something. Oh, <laughs> Roger Miller said circle. Okay. Yeah. All right. But again, uh, I'm sorry. Two weeks Nancy's going to do. I'm doing Joshua and Judges. Next week, I'm doing Joshua and Judges, and we're going to talk about history a little, how to, how to, how to read history fairly, because I think we've gotten to, to a point where we, I'm going to just kind of give you a preview, I think we're, we're hypercritical when we look at the, the past and people and we judge them by our standards today, and 
I know that sounds like a good thing to do, but I'm not sure it is, and we'll give you an example. My wife, Vicki, wants to say Well, something. Sarah just mentioned that she has no clue as to who Roger Miller is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, all right. Well, thanks for coming. Hope to see you next week. Uh, she could have gone all day without repeating that. Exactly. Uh, now, now I feel about the best. Song, I know. Best you haven't done a good job. I know.